Get your cup of joe ready. We have a lot to talk about. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today we are talking to Cinematic Seth, an abandoned creator that I have found on Instagram, creates amazing things. Seth, can you go ahead and introduce yourself for the episode? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, for everybody that's listening, I'm Cinematic Seth. I'm uh, I'm just an artist, dude with a camera. I, I take photos. I make videos on YouTube. I, uh, I try not to call myself a videographer or a photographer because I'm always bouncing back and forth between one and the other. And sometimes I'm making music. Sometimes I'm just making reaction videos or whatever. I'm just making whatever I feel like making and just trying to do what I'm passionate about. So that's why I refer to myself as an artist. Dude, I love that. That's powerful. I agree wholeheartedly because if you're passionate about it, you're going to kill it. You're going to do well and you're going to actually desire it, right? You're actually going to want it. Um, also, I want to say thank you for being on here. And for those of you listening, that is Cinematic Seth with an S. I like that. That's very creative. And so go ahead and follow him on, on Instagram. And I think his YouTube is the same thing, right? Yes, it is. Thanks, man. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, without further ado, let's just go ahead and get right into the episode, right? Starting out with the first question I have for you. So let's when go. you started out... Did you have any pushback, like as a creator or exploring abandoned places? Did you have any pushback from people around you, or uh, did you have anybody not support the creative endeavors you were trying to go on to? Uh, you know, somebody that was close at all. So, I actually had a lot of support from just my family. Um, I wasn't really vocal about the fact that I was going to start making YouTube videos to anybody but my family. Um, I, I wanted to start making videos for years since I was a freshman in high school. Didn't start until uh, I turned 19. So graduated high school and I finally said, okay, I'm going to make videos. But um, getting back to the question, uh, yeah, it was, a little, it was a little hard because most of the pushback was from myself. Like I was genuinely scared to start creating things because I just wasn't sure if I was going to be good enough or if I was going to like my stuff. But... In terms of support, I got a lot of it from my family. See, I think that's a huge problem with creators is actually getting in our own ways. Like, it it's not ideal, um, but, I mean, we are our number one critics, right? We're, we're our worst critics. And for me starting out, I was doing food challenges. All I needed was a camera pointed at me, food in front of me, and I was good to go. But once I started getting into photography and videography and stuff like that and truly expressing who I was – that's where I started having a little bit of trouble. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know if you started with photo first or video first, but I started with photo. Um, I started with photo in freshman year, and it started out as nothing to do with abandoned places. It was uh, fashion photography and product photography, like just taking pictures of things that looked cool and just teaching myself the basics of the camera and learning it all and then eventually led into video and I was just so so awkward on camera and that was one of the biggest reasons why I was like yo I can't be making videos like no one's gonna find this personality appealing and I was also kind of a kid that like I wasn't like a nerd or I didn't get like picked on like crazy in high school but I didn't have a ton of friends either I, I was a little quiet pretty reserved and shy so I just wasn't sure if my personality or anything like that would be something that people would be 
appealing, like drawn to. Well, see, what I've noticed with that is you have to let everybody else make that decision, right? You can't exactly. make that decision for yourself. And another thing is, like, I don't know, it, it, it takes practice, right? That's why people, when they start on YouTube, like, it's a good problem to have, but you look back, they react to their first video on YouTube after, like, years, right? And they look back and, like, oh, my goodness. You know, that's <laughs> atrocious. Yeah. And in high school, I was kind of in the same boat, like, I wasn't the quiet reserve kid. I was uh, louder, I, I'd say. Um, but I was—I will tell you—my work ethic was unmatched. Um, but I didn't get into photo or video until I joined the Marine Corps, and I was a three-sport athlete. And so I remember one year, I uh, freshman year, I was on a bad path, or you know, I just wasn't doing what felt right to me. Sophomore year, I started the year probably 193, 183 or something like that, and I ended after wrestling season, only wrestling season, so about three months. I lost a lot of weight and went from like one, we'll, we'll say 185, just to be safe, to 148. Or Damn. no, it was, yeah, it was 193 to 148. And so, like, I had no idea what I was going to do, and it was just interesting getting into creative at all, like creative work at all. And my, my thought process was, um, different for starting out. My thought process was, you know, what am I good at? What am I the best at? Cause in my mind, in order to be big on YouTube, you have to be the best at something and boy, could I eat. So I started doing food challenges competitively. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good yeah. place to start if you know you're good at it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, I definitely have a few things on my resume as far as food goes, like 50 ounce burger, large portion of fries, 24 ounce drink. That was something I did. 32 Yo, Reese's peanut butter cups at a time. What? Did, uh, <laughs> banana Sprite challenge, but it was a two-liter Sprite and five bananas. Um, I had a T-Rex burger, which is nine Wendy's patties with cheese and bacon. Um, Yo. I broke the blazing wing challenge re like record in uh, Buffalo Wild Wings in Pensacola, Florida. Like, yeah, man, we were getting after it. That's that's Yo. what I was saying. Like, I could eat and uh, yeah, the world's largest slice of pizza with exploring with Cody. And uh, Gabe, you know? yeah, yo, you weren't lying when you said that you could eat. Damn, I c yo, I can't eat that much. <laughs> <laughs> so being a food, uh, doing food challenges on YouTube probably wouldn't be the best, then, huh? No, I don't. I don't think that would be it for me. Maybe, maybe like cooking or baking, but I don't know about eating. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, you do the cooking, I'll do the eating. How about that? Word collaboration. <laughs> no, I'd stay away from the food challenges now. Now, I mean, I power lift. I'm into the gym a lot, but I try to yep. keep things, you know, a lot better just because, oh, I just feel so much better. Um, yeah, there you go. Oh, there was a time I remember in the Marine Corps, we had to run a three-mile um, – we had, we had a three-mile run the next day, and it was midnight, and I ate a large, like, Domino's pizza for time. Pizza's hard to eat fast, by the way. Um, yep. Nachos. Don't ever eat nachos fast. That sucks, too. <laughs> Um, if you're going to eat donuts fast, don't let them have, like, a chocolate glaze on them. Just get, like, the regular, like, glazed, you know, and microwave them for a little bit so they're warm. Some pro tips. But I had that at midnight and woke up at 4 in the morning and ran 3 miles in, in like, 19 minutes still. Damn, dude. I don't know That's how I did that. Yeah, like, all these kids are watching me bring all the – I spent so much money on food. Like, I, I, had, uh, I had 100 chicken nuggets one time. Ordering 200 chicken nuggets because I would, I would compete against other people. So, like, people would be in my videos because they'd be like, hey, cool, free food. So spending that money on that was so ridiculous. Yeah, definitely. But, yo, chicken yeah. nuggets, I'll put away 200. There's certain <laughs> things that I can that I can eat a lot of. But, you know, like, a, you throw a burger in front of me and I'm probably only going to eat, like, half of it. 
Well, you say that. I thought chicken nuggets would be easy, too. And then you get about the 75 mark, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Which is funny, because <laughs> that's what David Goggins says about Miles. <laughs> and I'm here talking about chicken nuggets, you know? Yeah. Um, but speaking of money, what, what do you do full-time, and what paid work do you do the most, video or photo? So my paid work actually comes in the form of editing. Um, I'm not making, like, any money off of brands or anything like that yet i have yet to break into that space of creative work but um i was lucky enough to end up meeting up with you know exploring with josh and i edit his youtube videos now i'm his full-time editor i quit my job and now i do youtube and editing full-time oh dude that's amazing does it pay pretty good you don't have to tell me numbers or anything but yeah yeah the pay the pay's pretty good um i'm going under a contract with him pretty soon so it's gonna increase but yeah it's good Dude, where it's at that's right amazing. now amazing yeah do you do any freelance um here and there i do some photo shoots i've done things like weddings and baptisms and like other family things gender reveals stuff like that oh my goodness now gender reveals are uh we live in a time where instead of just you know, gender reveals for babies. Now we got gender reveals for people out getting out of high school too. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. You have no idea how many kids I went to high school with. I only graduated three years ago, by the way. Keep that in mind. You know, you have no idea how many of those kids are pregnant or have had a baby already. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, I was gonna say I had something in my mind. I can't believe I kind of lost that. Uh, what was I gonna say? What was I gonna say? No, it's just, it's a crazy world, and getting into the weddings, I feel like if you're getting paid, I mean, it's one of the things that, you know, happens, I got into it as well, but weddings has a tendency to suck so much sometimes, like, the yes. the expectations, and and one, one general rule of thumb I have for any creators out there listening, whatever you charge, if you're doing a wedding, double it. Exactly. Weddings are no joke, and they up front like they need to know that they're going to be spending money you don't got to be rude about it but you're you're definitely not going to be uh lenient on your prices when it comes to it because you will have your work cut out for you every well, I mean, time it's, yeah it's very it's very like um it's very like i don't know what's the word like attempting to charge like 500 dollars and be that one guy that'll like do it cheap for them but then what you have to realize is they're going to ask for revisions they're yep. going to demand all these things. Like I did a wedding and it was just me and I did photo and video for that wedding in oh somebody's backyard and they, you know, they're a little older. They're like 60 something. Right. And they're great people. I, and I, I decided cause they were actually going with somebody else and switched up to, to go with me. And so I felt bad, you know? And so mm. I charged something that I don't normally charge. And like I set up what my old cam camera, my old Canon over by where they were like doing their vows and everything with a mic on it. And I just had that playing so that when they came down um, or recording rather, uh, I could record that aspect of it. And then I could just focus on, you know, photos while they're walking down the, uh, you know, the, the, whatever, the, the alley. I don't know. The, the aisle. Yeah. Aisle. Aisle. Yeah. That's right. I don't know what, <laughs> what's going on with me today, but um, yeah, like, I had to do it all at the same time. So I'm switching between photo and video for the Sony that I have. And it was like crazy. Like I got it done, but it took some tight planning. And then I got it edited. I got the photos to them. I over-delivered. I did everything you want to do as a creator. And then all of a sudden they come back and they're like, hey, also, can we get like, you know, this 
in like like uh can you just send us the full video of the vows and not just a video you promise i'm like okay sure yeah could you send us the uh the raw files too oh (laughs) i haven't dealt with that as much but that you know that's a good way like and the worst part is they're gonna tag you on those raw files so everyone thinks that you did them or the best part is when you give them the edited stuff and then they pull it into like their photo editor that they got from the app store for free Uh, and, and there's filters all over your edited files and then and then everybody's like, why would that photographer ever edit that like that? And you're like, no, it wasn't me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, these people, like, I get this, the, the, the rarity of the moment and the special moment, but they literally asked me for screenshots from the video. Oh, I'm like, no. I gave you guys, like, 100 photos. Like, why don't they, I, they? I took a lot. They uh-huh. can just screenshot the video themselves. <laughs> yeah, but they wanted me to do it because it comes out better. So I went on Adobe Premiere and just yeah, and gave it to them. But it was just like the little stuff that kept adding up. I'd be like, okay, cool. I got everything to you. I got an email to you. We're good. Actually, hey, um, and now I showed them the photos and they liked the photos. And I was like, cool. So I sent it to them. They're like, is there any way you could take the blue hue out? And I was like, why didn't you ask me when I showed them to you? You know? And right. then. I had some, like, family stuff happen. I had a lot of stuff happen. And then they were mad I wasn't replying and stuff. And I'm like, yo, like, I literally traveled to three states. I was doing work. I literally had COVID for a little while. And then I had, like, uh, a couple, like, family members pass away in the same time. And they were like, that's not how you do business. And I'd reply back. I'm like, hey, look, like, I just, I'm not able to do stuff right now. Just, just, like, chill out, right? Like, I've given you so much. And, it was like I said, um... I, I, there's no bad blood or anything. Like I, I, I don't like uh, like they're, they're great people. It was just one of those things that I didn't have the foresight with in in the wedding industry again. You know, I kind of forgot. Yeah, and if you would have like if you would have charged what you usually charge, that then all of that like might have motivated you a little bit more to like deal with it. Yeah, well, I mean, if I would have gotten what I charged up front and then after everything was delivered and everything like that, then it's a whole narrative. But like the biggest thing for me. Um, you got to charge more. You have to have expectations. You have to say, Hey, look, you're getting this, not any more, any less. And what's funny is they actually had friends and family members complaining that their photographer didn't take any photos. Cause I was that low key about everything. Like I was in the back doing the photos. I was on the side of the thing and I was like zooming in and I'm, I'm doing everything I need to do. And they didn't see me like do photo and video, which is what you want at a wedding. Yeah, mind you, you. <laughs> you're know? not supposed to be the center of attention. You have to be so incognito. Yeah. But they didn't see me doing the photos and like, why did you hire that guy? I didn't see him take a single photo. Like, oh, that's the why, point. Why would yeah. they assume? That's not cool. No, I had this one lady get drunk and like yell oh, at me. No. She's like, go get your camera. This is the moment you need to capture. I'm like, lady, I've got probably 20 photos of them dancing like this. Will you quit? So I go and grab the, I'm like, hold on, let me finish my lemonade. No, get out there now. And she's like causing a scene. So I go and I'm like, okay, cool. She's drunk. I'm going to disappear and she'll forget about it. Then I'm in the living room talking to somebody. I hear, where is that photographer? Oh no. Jesus. She's coming for you. Yeah. And (laughs) I go and grab my camera body and then I'm like sitting there and I have to put like, like I had just like whatever lens and I pretended to take photos. I just oh. held it to my eye. And she was like, that's better. And I'm like, what in the hell? Damn, that's a that's that's a crazy wedding story, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's and wild. All this, all this makes it sound worse than it is. But a lot of it's just customer service, right? 
like I mean they like they they invited me to their wedding. I had to have, I was able to have cake. I was able to have food. I didn't ask for it, but they they gave it to me. They're like, "Hey, grab yourself something to eat." There was a full bar there. I don't drink on the job or really drink in general, but like, you know, I felt like I was part of the family. It was really awesome, and it was a yeah. great experience. You just there's some things that I would have done differently. That's all. Yeah. But yeah. all that, yeah, to go to say like with the wedding and stuff, it's rough. So, did you have like a bad experience or was it pretty good for you? Like with any of the weddings, yeah, it's um. Luckily, I haven't. Ha- I don't have any crazy stories. They've all been pretty low key. I mean, I've only shot like three, so um. Definitely don't have any crazy ones. Not as bad as that drunk lady, but. <laughs> all all the the crazy stories that I've had on weddings are when I was the only shooter and when I was the main shooter. I don't have any crazy stories being a secondary shooter because everything falls back on the main guy, right? So yep. if you're getting into it, shoot with somebody else and you don't have to deal with it. Yeah. And then if you do mess something up, it's not as big of a deal because then you have like damage control there with with them. They're going to tell you what to get and you either get it or you don't. Yeah, plus it's just so much easier to shoot with two people whether one of you is doing video and one of you is doing photo like it just takes the burden off you have less to worry about you do your job the other person does their job it's simple yeah and what's cool is if you're a second shooter you're probably going to get the money that you were going to ask for anyway that 250 that 500 they're going to pay you out of that 2000 that they get or whatever it was right see i had a wedding situation in new york actually i used to live up there um, I, I lived in Brooklyn for a little bit for about three months. I lived in Newark, New Jersey for about three months and, uh, we were in Brooklyn and it's funny cause I showed up for this wedding and I went to like meet up with them cause I didn't know, all I knew is who I was, I was going to meet with to shoot with. Right. I didn't know who at the wedding it was. So I walked up and like, Hey, you know, the photographer's here and they're like, Oh no, we're just wrapping our wedding up. And it was funny cause that church there in New York was so New York style because they do a wedding. And you have like an hour and then you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And they just book like 10 of them. So like, yeah, (laughs) we go through the wedding and it's literally like, uh, you go, you shoot the stuff. And then they had like a downstairs area where everybody parties and stuff. And then like, that was it for the reception. And then the party continues and then somebody else does the wedding. Right. And then it was just crazy how like New Yorker was because it's in and out, in and out. Yeah, damn! I didn't, I didn't even know they do it like that in New York. That's crazy. It was just that cathedral. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was everybody. Oh, just like that one. May I don't know. Maybe all of them do it. But I just, I thought that was so funny. It was just limo after limo after limo. And then we had like at the cathedral, we had the basement rented out, so we were doing like shoots and stuff. And uh, they had that's where they had the food and they had the cake and stuff. But like some of them that they're booking like in between just want to get like married or. Or you, they just want the vows and stuff. And so, like, it was just crazy to see, you know, how many people they... It, it was like clients. Let's see how many we can book in a day. Yeah, that's that sounds insane. Imagine yeah. being a photographer on that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, in and out, in and out. That'd be... Uh, you'd probably make some serious money. If you're making 2K a wedding, there's three to five weddings there. You do the math. You make 10K in a day, potentially. Yeah, that's wild. Can you imagine, man? That'd the be nice. grind. Can you imagine how many photos you have to edit? Oh, I I wouldn't mind that, you know. Well, I, true. I mean, I love editing, but I do too. I mean, yes, it, it sucks, but at least I feel like I'm doing something. And then all I got to do is do that for like six months, and I have a red camera. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's your motivation. Yeah, finally shoot with that red camera that I want to shoot with. Um, I 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're going to get into the next question for you. Number three, speaking of dysfunction with photography and stuff like that, what's the biggest or just simplest mistake you've made on a shoot or just like one of those, like just no brainers. <laughs> oh man. Um, you ever, you ever like, ha- okay. So do you have a camera that has, um, like more than one SD card? Yeah. I have a Sony with two of them. Oh, okay, cool. So you'll, I, you might know what I'm about to say. So, you know, I shouldn't always have all Wait, of my memory cards. This? Yeah, can yeah. I predict this? So I was shooting a comedy show. I do stand-up comedy, right? And there was a pro guy there, and I was like, hey, I'll record your sets. I did the first one. It's kind of practice. He had two of them. And he asked me to record them both. I just sent him the footage, and it went well. But as I'm recording, I, there's a tap on my shoulder, and the bartender was like, hey, the first card filled up, and it stopped recording. It didn't just go to the second card. It stopped, and I had to re-hit the record button. Is that what happened? Yep. <laughs> yep. So go uh, ahead. Tell the story then. I, I want to hear it, but I, that just happened to me not too long ago. Thankfully, I only lost like 30 seconds in between when he's bantering with the audience, but yeah, that happened. And so then I dictated an entire card for him on the second shoot. Oh, man, that's such a bummer. Sometimes I do it to myself. The most recent time I did that to me was when I was just actually filming a video at my desk that I'm sitting at right now for my YouTube channel. Um, I was sitting there filming, and I'm reacting to footage, like, live. And so I got I got, I got got screen recording on my laptop. I got my mic set up and, you know, all these different tracks that I'm going to have to put together. So I... I finish reacting and I come to find out that my camera is not recording. <laughs> and oh, that's always the biggest like fuck. Yeah, and like I, I thought I checked it, but I didn't. And that stuff happens all the time. Dude, literally, I've only done I've I started getting into like comedy or whatever like that on YouTube, like reaction videos. And I want to say it was like similar to H3H3, but I did one reaction video. And I was just, I thought I had to be so over the top and extra. I didn't know what my personality was going to be or how to make the jokes or how to do it. And I was also editing on an HP laptop that took probably the entire day to render footage. Oh, God. And I had to render it before I could even, because it didn't have enough RAM. It wasn't meant for video editing. Right. I bought Premiere Pro, and it was just, I got a MacBook after that, you know. It It was rough. It was a rough time. Videos took me so long to make because of that computer. I feel that. Like, That's... I see people going daily. I'm like, it takes one day to render my footage. Yeah. In some days, my renders just fail constantly, and I have to just keep trying <laughs> all night. Uh, well, now with the MacBook, what what it is now is now that I upgraded the Sony, not the Canon, um, and I've got you know 4K and everything else like that, what's killing me is the export time. Because I can go, like it'll uh, it'll play through. But I didn't. It, my, my my laptop, my MacBook has enough RAM, but the other one didn't. So literally, you'd start to play the video, and it'd be like red up in the top of the Premiere bar, and yep. it would just freeze. And then the audio would play, but the video wouldn't play. So I couldn't video edit unless I rendered it all and got it ready to go. And then on on this one, I don't have to do that unless I'm doing like a lot of heavy like edits to it. Like if I am speeding up, slowing it down, if I'm warp stabilizing, if I'm putting like a lot of stuff on there then i'll export it just so it'll play it all the way through and i can see what it looks like in real time because there's been times where i'll go to speed something up and it'll look different on the computer than it does in the export and i'm like oh no so i have an idea that may help you because i run into this problem all the time um 
my uh, my buddy Josh, the one that I edit for, he uh, he films in the new um, Sony A7S three, and that's got that whole ten bit four K and everything. Like it's just insane footage, and Premiere has not like actually patched that footage to be playable when you import it. So it's just so annoying to have to try to play. And I can't believe I didn't think of this sooner, but do you know what proxies are? Yes, I've heard of them. I haven't gotten into them much. And I'm jealous because okay. I want that camera so bad. But I so literally got my Sony a7 III, and then right after I got it, that it released. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't have a problem with that on the a7 III whatsoever. That's what I shoot with. I've had that since I started making videos um, back in forever ago, but yeah. Um, about the proxies, basically, what it does is um, it uses Adobe Media Encoder, and you can create proxies for all of your files so that it'll render them, and then you can import them back into the um, into the sequence or the video, the timeline that you're working on. You toggle proxies on, and it basically allows you to use the proxies and play through them effortlessly. Oh, yeah, perfect. So it's kind of similar to, like, um, editing red camera cinema footage and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's how they, they get past it. Sometimes people have the same problem with drone footage. I do it with drone footage sometimes, too. But it, it definitely helps. It adds a little bit of time to the uh, the whole process and the workflow, but it's so worth it. It helps a lot. What's crazy is... Uh, I forgot what's crazy. Oh, yeah, the red cameras, they're, like, so much information on there. You can actually change the exposure after you shoot. Or like Yo, really? the settings you have, yeah. Like, I didn't uh, even know that. Yeah, uh, th- there's something crazy like that. Um, someone was telling me about it. A buddy of mine that shoots cinema. Uh, maybe it's not exposure. Maybe it's you, you can adjust it after you've shot it, and then putting it in a flat profile and color correcting it. Man, I imagine color correcting that because coloring color correcting my Canon 70D w- was like editing your photos on Instagram through the app. Color correcting on my Sony a7 III is more like Lightroom, and I feel like color correcting on the red cinema camera is probably like Photoshop with how much you can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The next question I have for you is, how important would you say finding a niche is? That's a great question, dude. So a lot of people on YouTube and just anybody in general, if you're a content creator, um, it's very important to even find a niche on Instagram so that, you know, people come to you for a certain reason or, you know, stuff is consistent on your feed or whatever. But, you know, I market myself as a type of person that doesn't have a niche because I just hate being put in a box. Like, I want to do whatever I feel like doing. That's why I'm not working a nine to five job because I want to do what I feel like doing. And maybe one day that's making a doc like a documentary or maybe the next day it's me filming a reaction video or just whatever whatever my passion at the moment is if you want to call it a passion um whatever my drive is at that moment and i just feel like i want to do that or i want to do this i want to do that without feeling like i'm betraying myself or betraying my audience if that makes any sense i respect that so yeah yeah thank you thank you it's like I, sp- I spent a lot of time um, in the past year really struggling with whether or not I wanted to keep making strictly abandoned p- 
places on YouTube and Instagram. And then I eventually just said, screw it. I'm, I'm not going to do just that anymore because life is way too short to be stuck doing one thing. And it's my life, you know? That's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's how I look at it. I love that. I want to preface this by saying I love that. I agree. I think that style of creating, right, doing whatever you want to do is great for when you're trying to grow. Um, as, as a creator, right? If, if When you're trying to grow your skills and when you're trying to figure out what you want to do and stuff like that. I feel like niche is king, though, when you're trying to grow an audience or a personal brand. When you're looking at the followers, when you're looking at the numbers, when you're looking at getting paid, right? Becoming that guy that shoots weddings, that guy that does portraits, that guy that does this is really great for a clientele base and for knowing like, like what the workload's going to be instead of doing a wedding one. I mean... I, I take whatever work I can get, right? So I, I do whatever kind of work. I've done all sorts of work. And so I get, you know, a decent amount that, you know, I've, like this year I did a wedding. I did a gender reveal. I did, you know, family photos. I did portraits. I did, oh, that reminds me of uh, one of the things I did wrong. Um, Back to the, th I think it was the third thing. Yeah, the third thing I asked you. But to finish this up, to wrap this up, for me, I think um, as far as growth as a creator, Having a niche doesn't really isn't really king, but growing your personal brand and growing that following is when it gets king, right? Because you say you want to do all these things. Peter McKinnon does reaction videos, right? Peter McKinnon does, you know, travel videos. He does all these different things, but it's still all him. You know, he, he's still got that signature, like, colors in his videos. He's still got the signature editing style and the way he films and the way he talks and everything else. And so... right. Being in niche doesn't necessarily mean you have to trap yourself. Like my niche, I would say on YouTube, is kind of broad a little bit. I do uh, videos for filmmakers. I do travel and vlogging. And that's just because of my lifestyle. I, I could dial it down and do something more specific, but I wanted to try a lens review. And that's the filmmaking aspect of it, you know, teaching people things. But now I have an RV and I fly a lot and I travel a lot. And so the travel and the vlogging was very pertinent to me because of that. And so... That's how I, that's how I feel on that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And maybe it is just because of like where I am in my creative career. I'm still super young and I haven't been doing this for a very long time. I mean, I've, I'm only on like my third year of YouTube really. And on, I think like probably my fifth or sixth year of being a photographer, but, um, Niche definitely isn't king when you're trying to grow and trying to be broad in what you make and what you output to the audience and to the world. Um, it definitely helps you grow, but even still, I just feel like it's it's so much more important for me to be myself because, you know, I can be known for that one thing, but if I want to do other things... I have to be able to feed that part of me or I start to lose interest in everything because then I just feel like I'm being, I'm forcing myself to work on things that benefit the minds and the tastes of others and not just myself. So maybe even one day if I get bigger and I have a large audience on a certain platform, I would love to be known for one specific thing that I can go to brands or companies or clients with and they can expect that from me, whether that be um, a type of content that I make or the way that I film that content or the way that I color grade it or whatever. 
I will always put my cinematic Seth stamp on everything I do in one way or another, but as for sticking to one type of content, there's just no way that I can do that because it doesn't satisfy me creatively. I feel that. I can understand that feeling too. And for me, I was a YouTuber first and then a photographer second. So it's almost like reverse. I, I've been on YouTube for five years um, on or off, on and off because it hasn't been a full consistent five years. But to kind of gauge what you're saying um, and to kind of go off of my personal experience and my personal battle with that, one you got to stop saying if. It's when I get that audience, when I do these things. I don't mean to attack oh, you, yeah. right? But thoughts turn yeah, into no, things. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're so right. You're so right. Manifesting is the most important thing. Well, energy, um, you know, positivity. Like, you have a whole world against you. Why be against yourself, right? Exactly. And so, totally agree I mean, with that. here's what you got to say. People, like, talk shit. They'll say, man, that was, that was so dumb. Man, I'm so dumb. Man, I'm this. I'm that. Right? It says weird. It's weird saying it now. Like I feel weird because I haven't been this. This year has been probably the greatest start to a year I've ever had because I've had this realization that you know whatever you ref or whatever yeah whatever you reflect is what you're gonna get. If you're a negative person, you're gonna be around negativity. If you're a positive person, you're gonna be around positivity. Because when you say something positive to yourself, it turns into positive thoughts, which turn into positive things, which turns into a positive life, right? And it's the same with negativity. True. Sorry. Very, very true. I have to go on that before I, I, I say this. But for me, what I do is I express myself differently on everything, right? So I used to be guilty of I'd make a YouTube video and I'd put it on Instagram and I'd put random things on Instagram and then I would try to share everything on everything, right? I'd make a YouTube video to go Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and then I, I didn't get the grasp. I didn't have the understanding that why would people watch it, you know, on all four of those platforms? Why not have one place to take them? So I don't use tw Twitter right now. I'm getting on TikTok, but TikTok is for my stand-up comedy, right? And for like my Joe, my J-O-E-K-E of the day, the joke of the day. And uh, <laughs> that's good. Thank you. Thank you. And then my Instagram's for my photography and it showcases my photography. So whatever I do photo wise, I post on there and maybe the occasional stand up set, maybe the occasional video or whatever I'm really proud of. If I do a documentary, probably go up there. But for the most part, my photography is what you can find on Instagram. My cinematography, my filmmaking is on YouTube. And then just same with, you know, with, with whatever I do. And so they all kind of play with each other, like my podcast too, right? I, I uh, have a podcast geared toward creators by creators. And so each thing almost has its own niche. And so you could do reaction videos on TikTok. You could do, you know, whatever you do on YouTube videos. And you could do like your photography whatever you want it to be, you go through like a, a period of nine, you know, nine uh, photos on Instagram that are abandoned and then go into the next thing. So you can be very flexible with your niche and you can kind of change it up. Like I said, Peter McKinnon does all sorts of things. But if you notice, he's still Peter McKinnon. He might go, hey, today we're doing a different type of video, but it's still Peter McKinnon here, your boy, you know? Yes, and that is the flexibility that I crave to have where it's still me. I'm just doing something else. Yeah. And what, like you were saying about putting certain content on certain platforms, that I totally agree with. You will never catch one of my videos on Instagram or you'll never catch photos specifically on YouTube. But maybe I'll make a video about how to do certain things with photos or how to edit photos or videos. You know, like I'm definitely learning the, the flexible um, ways to be flexible with yeah. my content. Well, one but, cool thing, too, is uh, when you post that photo, you can go, hey, Check out my YouTube video, please. Yeah, I do you. that all the time. Yeah. Yep. 
Okay, and please, yeah. please watch my video. I'm starving. <laughs> I'd like to eat. <laughs> if you and ten friends view this video, I might be able to get a McDouble from the dollar menu at McDonald's. Please, then, yeah, you're money. like you're like monitoring, you're hacking into people's computers, and then as soon as they go to skip the ad, you're like, "Don't you fucking dare! Don't you do it!" <laughs> Yo, it's it's so funny because. Full disclosure, on certain videos that I know are going to do really well, I don't let people skip ads. Just oh. going to put that out there. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't have ads on my videos right now. Um, I don't see the point. I used to have ads on Anchor. I used to do the ads uh, before the monetization thing changed. But then I realized, like, Casey and I said didn't advertise his videos, and he grew his audience, and then he started advertising, right? And so why would I, you know, kind of hurt – or why would I – um, punish people for watching my content, right? Then I'm not going to get as many people watching. And I'm going to make pennies on whatever that company's, you know, do- to, to whatever that company's that, that's advertising's dollar. You know, if I make $100 from that, they probably made 10000 Yeah, very true. And what you're saying about Casey Neistat and the way that he grew his audience before he even monetized his channel, that... I had that exact same philosophy. The The reason why I've monetized in the past year is because last year was the year that I actually started growing. Like Fair things enough. find thing. Yeah. Things started blowing the hell up. Like, I mean, last February I had less than a thousand followers on, on YouTube, probably like under a thousand on Instagram as well. Like I was still not a starving artist or anything, but I mean, I was still new. I was still trying to grind out the content and learn how to be consistent. But then I started posting stuff that I actually liked, and then it just started kind of taking off. And here I am now in in 2021. I'm on the binge of uh, 20K on YouTube, and I'm beyond grateful for that. Like, didn't even see myself getting anywhere close to this. So... I mean, back to the whole monetization thing. I just saw it as the opportunity, but yeah. No, I got you. I mean, yeah, that's that's amazing. I was just telling you my thing. Whatever you do is gonna be what you do. Like that's the best part of creativity. Like yes, I see things, and I'm I might change my mind. You know, there's gonna be a t- period of time where I change my mind, and I could be wrong. I'm often wrong. It happens, right? Failure is part of the pro- process. Like, whenever anybody asks 100%. me, how do I do this? How do I do that? The f- or one of the things I heard, you know, one of the quotes I heard was, uh, oh, you want to be a creator? Are you prepared to fail? Because you better be prepared to fail, you know, because the failure is going to lead to the, the growth. You're going to want to know how to do this whip transition. You're going to go to do it, and you're going to look back in five years and go, wow, I wasn't that good. But now yeah, I'm like, better. Wow, I've, that- I've learned. Yeah, and I mean, I I take so much more pride in my losses than I do my wins, and I know that sounds so corny. It sounds like something nah. everybody is is saying, but yo, it's so true. I enjoy losing, and I enjoy when I gotta maybe revise a video a couple times because there were things that I didn't see in there that I eventually found out and learned because of all those bad videos that I made. Well, maybe they weren't bad, but you know me being my own critic, maybe I thought they were bad, look back on them, and I learn from it. And that's the that's the key. That's a key ingredient to becoming better at your craft is just sucking at it. Peter McKinnon had a great, um, a great saying in one of his older videos. It was, done is better than perfect. I don't know if you if you can recall that. I recall that. But, um, that's, was that the yeah. Casey Neistat episode where... 
Casey Neistat says three mediocre or uh, yeah, three mediocre shots is better than one perfect shot because three shots tell a story and one doesn't. I think that might be the same video. Um, if not, I know exactly which video you're still talking about because I religiously watch both of their channels. Same. But um, yeah, they're huge inspirations. Huge inspirations. But um, yeah, the, well, the well, thing think, they were sitting where you are right now at one point. Peter McKinnon almost exactly. didn't want to do YouTube. He was like, hell no, I don't want to do YouTube. Then he did, what was it, um, three or ten, five camera hacks in 90 seconds or something like that? Yeah, I think I think it was eight camera hacks. But, yeah, that video, like, totally blew up. Totally blew up. It was crazy. Up. Yeah, no, it was crazy. Like, and, and that's when he was like, hey, there's something here. And then he made the connections. See, I enjoy the process very much. And I'm diving back into YouTube. I'm making my. I'm working on my first video of the year, and it's a recap video. And I start with that because it's the hardest freaking video to make. You go through an entire hard drive full of stuff you did this year, and then you'll <laughs> you, you'll be thinking you're doing pretty good. And you look at like the first four months of my year. I was so lost. I was so scattered. I was just like, I, I considered making my Instagram into a fitness Instagram. Like what? And so like I'm going through all this stuff. And I'm just like cringing so hard, and it's just everything I can do to get through it. And then I'm like, okay, what parts from YouTube videos do I want to reference? What do I? And it's just it's one of those things that like, sure, you know, good is good enough, but I need to actually get it up to that like level of good so that people will watch it. And so it's just, uh, it's, I don't know, it's a battle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like what uh, Road Trip Nation. I watch them a lot. I listen to their podcast a ton, and I love what they say. They say. If you're not lost, you're not much of an explorer, right? And so when you're like, man, I don't know how to do that camera transition, you know, in my head, I, I just think, like, if you're not lost, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. Because if you're not scared to do yeah. something, like, when you're scared, you're paying attention, right? Think about it. If you're on a motorcycle yes. and you're pulling that throttle back and you're terrified, you're paying attention to your hand movement so much. Same with the camera. But when you're not scared is when you should be worried because then that's when you're just willy-nilly. Yeah, that's that's when hubris starts to kick in and you think that you're, you know, that your shit don't stink and that you have nothing to learn. It always sucks to be at a standpoint and that's where you just never want to be, like a standstill. Yeah, that's why I like that saying so much. And that reminds me of something I actually wrote down recently. I think I said this in the uh, podcast with Jonah, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I don't think people can hear it enough. There is four levels of leader. Er, okay, there's five stages of development. I'm going to go through that one instead of the leadership one. One is unconscious incompetence. That's where you start. You don't know how bad you are, right? Then you get to mm. conscious incompetence where you're like, man, you know, you're practicing to develop the new skill, and you're like, wow, I've got a long way to go. Then you've got conscious competency where you develop some confidence. You, you, got, you, you know what you're doing. You're missing a couple things, but you know what you're doing. And then there's unconscious competency. Muscle memory and confidence is high. You're off to the races. And then you've got unconscious mastery. Confidence in all area of your skills. And that's the zone you're trying to be in. That's where you make seven figures doing whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I think everything you just said is very accurate. I don't know where the hell I am on that stage. But like you said, if you're if you're not lost, you're not an explorer, right? We're probably so. on state, on level three of that. Honestly, because if we're looking back at our stuff we're like, man, that's not that good. That shows that lack of confidence, you know, that that we're our worst critics, because if we were if we were un unconscious competency, we would just have that confidence like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good video. We're going to put that out. So we're leveling up to level four, I think. You might be right. Honestly, I, I just 
am so in love with what I'm doing. Well, I mean, like yeah. it's it's just like I don't even I I know a lot of people track numbers and metrics and subscribers and everything and of course you do. It's hard not to pay attention to those things even in the stage that we're at right now. Like you're constantly trying to do things to make yourself grow and to just level up. But I don't know. I'm so I'm so into what I'm doing and who I'm becoming and the things that I'm representing that like I I honestly don't even realize how fast things are happening. And I think this is such I'm in the flow state and this is what this is what I love. Dude, that is powerful. Just that is so yeah, fucking just, powerful and I'm so happy for you. Genuinely. Thanks. Man, thanks. Genuinely. That's rare. You got to realize yeah. you've got something 99% of people don't have and that's passion. I passion is key, man. That's that's all I can say. It's just if you're not in it for the right reasons, then you know, you shouldn't be doing it. If you came, let's say you came onto YouTube in hopes to get big and make money, then maybe that's not the re- the right reason to be on YouTube. But, you know, if you're on YouTube because you like making videos and you're passionate about the things that you're making videos about, eventually people are going to see that passion and they're going to think you're cool and that they're able to look up to you, that you're a role model. And that's that's what I'm searching for because my my whole uh, essence of creation and the zenith of why I even started creating things is just because I never had that like outlet to let things out and to express myself basically so I was playing music before I started uh, making YouTube videos and taking photos but with the first time that I picked up a camera I finally felt like I found my outlet and that's my entire reason for doing this is just to do it because I love doing it and it makes me feel good. Dude. And that's what I just want to, that's what I want to preach to the world. I'm right there with you, man. That's why like, I, I'm doing this podcast like this is, you know, by creators for creators is because I just love getting that passion to show through. I love getting all that stuff. And I found that out recently. Like it doesn't matter if you have a hundred thousand subscribers or uh, followers on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever else because like people will look at that number like oh my god you have a hundred thousand or ten thousand or whatever the number is in your head right but the the, the truth is just because you have ten thousand followers on Instagram doesn't mean you have any more money in your pocket right it like satiated right. that need for like attention and for what is that called um when you want when you want people to like that positive reinforcement and so, like, when you start looking at it as just something you want to do, like, I would say we're mid-tier. We're level three because we're right in the middle, right? We've developed these skills. And, I mean, you look at the, the money we make. You look at the following we have. You look at all these things, and we're right in the middle. And then I feel like you look at, like, Peter McKinnon, and he's level five. You look at Jesse Driftwood or something, somebody like that that doesn't quite have as much as he does. Maybe he does. I don't know. They're, 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 they're all doing very well. But – just who comes to my mind. I feel like he's level four uh, as far as like, you know, a few things go. And he's he's branching into level five, right? And so that's why I say that. I feel like I'm going to be level three until I'm making consistently $10,000 a month. And then after that, when I work my way up to $100,000 a month, that's level five. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Everybody's got their own metric of like what their goal is like if you can do this then to yourself you you think you've made it and everybody's metric is different to me personally i don't give a damn about money 
of course it's nice to have it, but it's not going to make you any happier. Like you said, with the, the 10,000 followers on Instagram, all that attention doesn't make you feel good all the time. It only helps you when you want it. But, um, I don't know. Like I was saying before, my, my drive is strictly just to encourage people to kind of be themselves. I mean, that's, that's what I say at the end of my video. Every single time, my, my outro line is, be yourself and go explore the world. And that's just... Because that's what I want to do. I just want to be myself and go explore the world. So hopefully people can find that um, that line and turn it into something that they can relate to. Yeah. Well, I think when you have that and you have the desire for more, you're you're a weapon. You're a threat. Because I don't necessarily like money for the monetary value. I like money because I can do amazing things with money, right? Money got me right. an RV. Money is getting me a trailer for that RV. Money is getting me around the country and putting gas in that RV. Money is helping True. me tell a story. Money is going to upgrade my gear. And so I like what I can do with money. And I want to build a legacy. I want to have enough of it that whenever I have kids, right, I'm going to make them go through their own struggles and do their own thing. But if they were to, like, really not be able to make it or had something, like, huge going on, their, their car explodes, right, and they don't have a way to drive – I can be there to help them build a legacy. Not like I, I don't want to be rich. I want to be wealthy, right? Rich, you can go to right. Vegas and lose it in a in a weekend. Wealthy, you're making money while you sleep, right? Very and true. So yeah, I like that. I want to be the most successful person in my family. I want to put my name on the map. I want to do a lot of things, and maybe some of it's ego, but a lot of it is just the desire to be better. Three hundred and sixty-five percent better every year. One percent every day. That is what matters, and that's I mean. That uh, here's a, here's what I've noticed with happiness for myself. You know, happiness isn't accomplishing a task; it's the process in that task. Which sounds corny, but you got to think the key to happiness. So true. Right? The key to happiness is better so problems. If your problem is, wow, I've only got two days to get this YouTube video edited out. Right? That's a good problem to have. You figure that out and you put it out. Right? Or you put it out a day late. Whatever you need to do. But imagine instead, if your problem was. Oh my God, I'm waking up for 5 a.m. to drive an hour to work to go work at a job that I hate. That's a bad problem to have, right? Oh, as soon as I get money, it's 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 spent on rent and everything. That's a bad problem to have. A good problem to have is, wow, I just reached $1,000 of my savings. Now, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. Or two or four or five or eight or 15. Who cares, right? But right. the key to life is evolving, continuing, continuing to evolve. Like... Getting out of the Marine Corps or getting out of the military, it's hard because you don't know what to push for anymore. You've been pushing for something for four or five years. Now you're out, and everything you said you were going to do, everybody wants to smoke weed. Everybody wants to drink. Everybody wants to get tattoos. And there's only so long you can do that before you start to get unfulfilled again because it's like, wow, what the hell am I pushing for now, right? You retire, and you see a lot of them get really sad. I mean, they spend a lot of time with family and stuff, but it's, it's, it's not really like a depression, but more of a melancholy, right, because they realize time is short. But, like... They get stir crazy because they've been working all day every day, right? And then they get out and then they don't have anything to do. They don't have a way to evolve. And so whether it's with family or anything else. And you got to think too, I, I see a lot of people side hustling with creation and they put creation on the side completely. And they don't figure out a way to continue to create and inspire themselves. And they'll work you know, somewhere. Make, they, they, they work for five, ten years. Finally get enough money to create and they lose that inspiration. They lose that imagination. They lose that part of themselves as a creator and then they realize, what was the point of me working that 10 years? Because now I just lost who I was. Sorry, that's a lot there, but I'm very passionate about that. 
Yeah, no, dude, I love that this that this podcast is you trying to capture passion from creators and you yourself having that kind of passion. That's that's awesome. You you really do put the the meaning of the podcast into it when you speak. So I, I respect you for real. That's that's awesome. Dude, thank you. Um, I go on these tangents sometimes. I apologize. But like this it's is cool, man. How I live. This is what I believe. Yeah, I love hearing people do their thing like preach about how they want to do their thing too and i love even more seeing people do it like that that's what really matters like that's that's the cool thing well if this podcast can help one person man that's powerful right yeah absolutely and that's that in tangent works with what i was trying to say earlier where i just hope that for somebody out there when i say be yourself and go explore the world i hope that that at least one person can take that and just take off and go the distance with whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. I mean, my my story alone of how I figured out it what it is I want from life and then I turn it into where I'm at now. Sure, I got a long road ahead of me and I'm still young and I got a long life to live. There's so many other things I have to do and I'm just getting started, but to look at how far I've I've truly come, not to toot my own horn, but it's to me is a story that if I can share with people with the right message attached to it, then I can make an impact. And that's what I'm trying to do. I love that. And see what you're talking about or what what you were saying, that's either level two or three of leadership, right? Level one of leadership, right? Everybody thinks of leadership differently. But here's what level one is. Transferring a skill, thought, belief, or behavior to yourself. That is level one of leadership. Level two is transferring that skill, thought, or belief, or behavior to one other person, right? So you'd be a parent, you'd be a friend, you'd be a mentor, whatever it is. Level three is transferring that to many people or multiple people simultaneously, whether you're a teacher, a manager, leader, whatever it is, right? And then level four is doing that, right? Influencing people without needing to be there all the time. So this podcast has the potential to influence people when I'm not even there, right? And so... That, I think, is very powerful. I had a creator tell me, hey, you know, we don't have a big reach. And so in order for this to be, you know, better, reach back later on and we'll see what happens down the road. I'm like, hey, man, the only way you're going to build that reach is if we're, we're in the now. We're doing something right now. Because who knows, if I blow up, what if this is the episode that blows up after that, right? Like if I get up to a million followers, what if this is the one episode that everybody resonates with? Dude, exactly. Stuff like this has the potential to go crazy over time. And that brings it back to what I was trying to say about done is better than perfect. Yes. Peter, like that 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 quote, I know it's not exactly Peter's quote, it's a friend of his um that that did it. But uh he had he had it painted on his door at one time and I thought that was so dope. But done is better than perfect is the embodiment of what I think you just said. Because it's like who cares if the reach isn't perfect who cares if the number isn't there for you yet don't don't look at the metric look at the message everybody's got the same thing they're like you know i never thought i'd blow up i never thought i'd be the one you know you're one big break away from changing your life forever one instagram post from getting all those followers or or or, you know one instagram post from like somebody like gary v saying that and then contacting you reaching out hey what are you doing you're one TikTok away from, you know, reaching Addison Ray or whoever else and having them be like, wow, I really love that. You're one video away from just blowing up. You're one podcast, whatever it is that you're doing. You're one 
big break away from changing your life forever. And so why would you, you know, even risk not taking that break, right? It's almost more of like, like in an ever-changing world, it's more of a risk to do nothing than it is to take a risk. A hundred percent. Everything that you do is the first time that somebody is going to see you. So make it the best that you can and give them the best impression that you can. And if it isn't what you want it to be, done is better than perfect because somebody's going to resonate with it if you put the passion into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even that practice, right? If that's the first time they see you or say, you know, somebody sees you on your first video, if you spend all that time and that's where they see you and they don't like you. Oh, well, that sucks. But what if you'd have put out 10 videos and you'd have had the practice and they see you on that 10th time and they're like, wow, this guy is really something, right? So, like, that, I don't know, people have the, that FOMO for the wrong things, that fear of missing out. They have that fear of missing out when camera gear comes out. They have that fear of missing out when, when shoes come out. They make shit happen then, right? They're like, man, I'm broke. Then that shoe come out, comes out for $225 and they find $225, right? But then when it comes to making a video... Oh, we're going to do it tomorrow. Oh, the next day, next month, next year, whatever else. When that fear of missing out should be, wow, you know, this video is going to blow up so much that I'm going to be able to afford to buy 10 pairs of shoes with what this is going to lead me into, the opportunities, whether I'm doing freelance, whether I'm doing, you know, editing, whether I'm working for somebody else, whatever I'm doing, this video is going to drive me to my potential, right? Imagine ending your life going up and you see a guy with a clipboard. David Goggins talks about this. He says, you know, that guy's going to tell you how close you got to your true self and you're going to meet your true self, right? And how how shitty would it be to be complete strangers, right? But imagine how great it would be to feel like brothers or feel like close friends meeting again. Imagine that guy looks at you and he says, hey, I had a list for th- of things you could do in your life and I crossed them all off. I actually had to add some more. Good on you. Yep, that's, that is deep and I love that. That's That's perfect. Like, regret is the the biggest killer in life. Like, it it must suck to be one of those people that, you know, is 70, 80, 90 years old and you're looking back on things that you can't do because of where you are in life and you just wish you did it. That's got to be the most disappointing aspect of life. What sucks is saying, you know, I'm going to do this tomorrow and then not having tomorrow. Yep. Right. Yep. Being that's the type of person. Uh, anyway, we went on a bit of a tangent there. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and get into the last question, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. No, no rush or anything. You know, I I love this. This is the whole reason I do this. You know, I I hope someone makes it down here and just gets fired up. But I want to ask you, how do you personally connect with other creators? You know, like I notice you know John Yuri. I know I notice you know exploring with Josh. Like, how did you cross paths with these guys? How do you know them? What's your advice for somebody else on connecting with people? And yeah, we'll just start with that. All right. So, I'm gonna go on a slight tangent here because this is a story. But, um, like I said, I started making stuff creatively in freshman year of high school so I'm 14 15 years old and um I had no like gain or want to go on YouTube whatsoever I was just you know I would go on there occasionally to watch videos and I was hanging out with my brother and one of our best friends in the in our bedroom at my old uh house and we were all just chilling our our friend was gonna stay the night and so we're on YouTube and we come across this channel called Exploring with Josh. And 
we clicked on one video that he did this is years ago i mean i don't even remember how long ago he filmed this video but it, i remember the video it was him exploring an abandoned asylum and it went totally viral for him but that video oh, i remember that I, I remember that asylum. yes yes when i went to that not when i went there i did go there but um when i saw that video it Th that was 2018 right I think so, yeah. Yeah, I was um, in Newark, New Jersey, sitting in the, the parking lot of a mall when I saw that. Damn, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> it's it's like we were there and um, we were watching it, and I just remember seeing it and being totally mesmerized by what I was seeing. The, 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 the abandoned building and the story behind it. Um, I, was, I was always a history nerd in school. It was my favorite thing. Didn't even have to take notes because that's just how much it interested me that I could just do it without even thinking and so that tied into my love of the uh, the abandoned building and just like learning about its history and its story and keeping it alive because all of these buildings are eventually gone um, so from that point forward I remember saying I want to do this and so I just spent the next four years of my life figuring out where places are abandoned places where they are on the on the planet or in the country i got my driver's license after i graduated high school when i turned 19 and as soon as i got it i took two of my friends and i went to that same abandoned asylum that i saw josh go to for the first time and that was the first place that i went to and to this day i have not stopped exploring abandoned places but getting into how i met other creators like josh and john and all these other guys um it was that same year that I started exploring abandoned places that I was just posting every single day on Instagram, photos that I was taking. And what do you know, Josh saw one of my posts and it was a spot that he wanted to do. It was an abandoned school. And um, he hit me up and said, "What do? where is this? Like, just wanted to know where it was. And so I was like, I can show you, I can bring you there. And he was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So we set a day, we met up, we explored that school together. And since that day, we have just been very close friends. And now I'm editing his YouTube videos and I've met all of his friends in the exploring crew. I've met John, I've met Steve Ronan, I've met exploring with Cody. And it's also brought me further into this community of the, of the urban exploring community. But the, the, the opportunities I've had, I've gotten to work with companies like AMC's The Walking Dead for brand deals and stuff. Like the things that I've been able to do through just because I had this idea that I wanted to explore an abandoned building because I thought it was cool. That alone was enough for someone to recognize me and just be like, yo, this kid's cool. I want to hang out with this kid. And long story short, that's how I got into it. It's just... I had the passion for it and I showcased it to the world even when I thought that nobody was watching and if you're just looking for the short version on how to meet with people that are in the same genre or if you want to branch out and meet up with other people just ask them literally just reach out to them because maybe they're gonna want to do it you're never gonna know unless you ask and the worst that they can say is no just put yourself and put your work out there and eventually someone's going to notice. Yeah, man. Imagine like, like you said uh, earlier, like you reach out to somebody, they don't reply. Right. But then you meet them and you know, they're like, Oh, 
you actually did reach out to me. Let's do it or something like that. Um, I believe all that you said was right before he had the TV show with Cody, right? Yes, yes, it's, exactly. It's crazy to to realize how interconnected we are. I think I don't know if I was talking to Cody or somebody else, but they were also talking about how the abandon used to be a huge thing. You know, it's kind of like this cheeky thing you'd be like scared of getting caught for, and then you just go explore, and then the flood of people came in and ruined it. Now all of a sudden they started shutting things down, and yeah, it was just you know they started catching on hashtags, and it was just yep. It all went south because of it's a bummer. Yeah, all the mass people that that climb on on <laughs> on ceilings and or, or rooftops in New York, and I mean, uh, I think Gabe was talking about abandoned place he went to, Gabe Desanti, and he went like a uh, abandoned train station or something like that. And I ended up going into an abandoned movie theater in Newark, New Jersey. Like it was crumbling, it was falling apart, but I saw like a stairway up. And I went up, and we went all around, and it was just this, like, amphitheater. Like, uh, it looked spooky. Like, you go down there, and all the sandbags are sitting there. You got all the seats up top that look, like, fine. But on the bottom, the roof had started falling out. And then the, the, the sheet where the movie plays is all torn up. And it was it was crazy. You could literally walk down the stairs. It was all covered in dirt and soot from the roof. But you could walk downstairs and go through where they had, like, the, you know, you could go up to the projector room. You could go up to, like, where they had the uh, um, different rooms behind the stage and everything. It was nuts. And so I felt that same thing you were talking about with the abandoned when I was exploring that movie theater. We had to keep the lights low so no one would know we were in there. It was crazy. Yeah. Dude, yeah, it, was, it's, it was crazy. I think I also think I know exactly which place you're talking about, by the way. But that's that's cool, man. I, I actually didn't know that you've been to any abandoned places. Like, do you go frequently? I mean, not uh, uh, I'll go whenever I come across them. I'm, you know, mm. I haven't really made it like a, a big deal to myself. I haven't been like, man, I'm going to go here. But there's so many ghost towns in Nevada. Like, there's like oh, uh, I bet. Ruby Valley. You go out there and there's there's this like abandoned town. You know, like, uh, I don't know what happened, but you go there and there's houses with furniture still in them and you get cars and that's how you find is the cars are parked right by the road and they're still there. They left everything behind. You go to this mining town that had like 30 people in it or whatever it was. And it's called Metropolis outside of a town called Wells. And what happened was there was Wells and there was that town and they asked to like divert water from the dam to the town to like, so they could get water and the act, the, the request was denied and the entire town died because of it. And so there's like certain things out here that I've seen, but like I wouldn't necessarily call it like a desire to, you know, it's more of like a desire to explore than a desire to explore necessarily abandoned. Cause I, I go on hikes, I do all these things. So like, if I see it, I'm all for it and I'm all up for, I'm up for an adventure. I'm a yes man. Right. Like if I say I'm going right. to do something, I told someone I'll take a bite out of a styrofoam pumpkin one time. And they said, bet do it. And I took a biggest bite out of that styrofoam pumpkin, you know, like <laughs> that's the type go. of personality I have. That's the type of person I am, man. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And those are those are the best people to hang out with because those are the people that you make memories with and that's that's important. I just I, I like to think like if I don't do something, imagine the memories I'm missing out on. You're like, let's go in that house. Nah, it's illegal. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm not gonna care if yeah. I get arrested or not when I'm ninety. Unless yeah, no, I'm still look- in there. Unless I'm still yeah. in there. Yeah, you know, you'll probably look back on it in laugh at it honestly yeah. i mean i i've got some stories man about the places i've been not all of them have 
ended very well, but it yeah, works. And you're in jail. It's you're a like, memory. I got framed for murder because I went into a house with a dead body. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it was a graveyard, though, in my defense. Yo, I, <laughs> I, I always... Like, everybody who explores abandoned places, if somebody who does is listening to this right now, you know as well as I do that we are always wondering if we're going to find a dead body in, a, in an abandoned place. Oh Crosses your mind every single time. The first thing, right? Yeah. Either you... that or, man, I hope I don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or, oh, I, gotta, I really got to pee. I should have done that. Yeah. Usually you can do it in the place, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. But, like... It sucks. It's kind of an asshole thing to do. I'm gonna put this out in the earth, the world, man. We should, you know, I'm going, I'm going to your neck of the woods at some point on February 20th. I'm heading out there. Let's go up, explore something. Let's do some abandoned exploring. Let's do some photo shoots. Let's collaborate on. Let's do something, man. Yeah, dude, I would, I would totally be down. I'm always willing to hang out and meet new people, and I think that's that's another answer to the um, question that you asked about. You know how do how do you meet people? You just be open to it. Yeah, right there. You said just reach out, right? So I mean, I'll be in North Carolina. We'll meet somewhere, and then, bada bing, bada boom, we'll we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely down. Providing you know the the current situation with COVID and all that, we'll we'll do our best. Hopefully, things will be calm by the, the middle or the end of the year. We'll see. Yeah, but man. I'm definitely definitely down. Perfect. Well, anyways, we talked about a lot of powerful things in this episode. I think we're going to wrap it up here because uh, we, we're, we're pretty far in there. This is probably an hour and a half long podcast at this point. I usually do about an hour. No worries because there's so much value. And I hope I hope whoever's listening to this, if you're listening to this point, I want to say thank you, one, and two. I hope this impacted you in some way. Agreed. I really hope that somebody got a lot out of this because, I mean, sounds like we did. Oh, I agree. You, you uh, I refortified and reinvigorated myself on a lot of fronts, and it kind of, uh, I mean, just with this podcast, I'm like pumped up, ready to edit that, you know, uh, that video. Yeah, same. I'm about to jump off this and then go edit some more videos right now. <laughs> Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're gonna end it right there. <laughs>